The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Ian Austin. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to those who have fallen in Afghanistan since we last met for Prime Minister's questions. Lance Corporal Paul Watkins from 9th 12th Royal Lancers, Corporal Mark Palin from 1st Battalion The Rifles, Marine James Wright from Juliet Company, 4-2 Commando Royal Marines, Lieutenant Daniel Clack from 1st Battalion The Rifles, and Sergeant Barry Weston from Kilo Company, 4-2 Commando Royal Marines. We should also remember senior aircraftman James Smart from No. 2 Mechanical Transport Squadron, RAF Wittering, who died in a road traffic accident in Italy on the 20th of July while supporting operations in Libya. I pay tribute to their outstanding courage and selflessness. They've each given their lives, serving our country and making our world more safe and secure. Our thoughts and deepest sympathies, we should be with their families, their friends and their colleagues. This week we also reached the 10th anniversary of the terrible atrocities of September 11th, 2001. So we should remember all those who lost their lives that day and all those who died in pursuit of a safer future throughout the last decade. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Ian Austin. The whole House will agree with the tributes the Prime Minister just made to members of the armed forces who have made the ultimate sacrifice defending our country. Mr Speaker, earlier this week the Government pushed through legislation which says that terror suspects must be given access to mobile phones and the internet and which ends relocation orders so that they can't be kept out of London in the run-up to the Olympics or the Queen's Jubilee without emergency legislation. Won't decent law-abiding people out there be shocked to discover that he's weakening protection for them whilst pushing through what many people will think is a charter of rights for would-be terrorists? I don't agree with that. What we did was we consulted very carefully with the police, with the security services, in order to try to get to a better position, because, frankly, control orders didn't have the confidence of the public. They didn't work in far too many cases. And the arrangements that we put in place will keep this country safe and have greater public confidence. Guy Opperman. Can I thank all of the House and all of my Hexham constituents for their messages of support whilst I was temporarily in hospital. I am now fully recovered, thanks to the outstanding care of the NHS and its hard-working doctors and nurses. Would the Prime Minister agree with me, as many doctors and nurses did, that it must be our mission to improve and reform the NHS, so that the service that we so cherish will improve with the challenges that we face ahead? Can I say how good it is to see my honourable friend back in his place and fully recovered? He's right. The point of our health reforms is to put doctors in charge, is to give patients greater choice, is to heal the divide between health and social care, and I believe will lead to a stronger NHS and better outcomes for patients. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I start by joining the Prime Minister in paying tribute to our brave servicemen who have given their lives over the summer? Lance Corporal Paul Watkins from 9th 12th Royal Lancers, Prince of Wales, Corporal Mark Palin from 1st Battalion, The Rifles, Marine James Wright from Juliet Company, 4-2 Commando, Royal Marines, Lieutenant Daniel Clack from 1st Battalion, The Rifles, Sergeant Barry Weston from Kilo Company, 4-2 Commando, Royal Marines, 
and senior aircraftman James Smart from Number 2 Mechanical Transport Squadron, RAF Wittering. Mr. Speaker, all of them demonstrated tremendous bravery and courage in the line of duty, and we send our deepest condolences to their family and friends. Let me also join the Prime Minister in remembering all of those who died in the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. We all said at the time, Mr Speaker, that we would never forget, and it is right that we pay particular attention on this the 10th anniversary of September the 11th, so that for the victims and their families, we show that we are true to the words we spoke in the aftermath of those terrible attacks. Let me also, Mr Speaker, as the House returns, thank all our policemen and women who did such a tremendous job in the riots over the summer. And it's on the subject of policing that I want to start my questions to the Prime Minister. We learnt last night that the Prime Minister now wants to hold his elections for police commissioners, not alongside local elections, as originally intended, but in November of next year. How much extra money does he expect this to cost? This will cost an extra £25 million, but this money will not, this money will not be taken from the police budget. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, so he is making a bad policy worse by wasting money. He could easily have decided, if he wanted to postpone these elections, to have them in May 2013. Uh, and it would be, and indeed, subsequent elections, Mr. Speaker, will be held in May 2016. Can the Prime Minister t- tell us why he has decided to waste his money in this way? Yes. Well, it's important to get this policy right and to make sure it works. But let's be, let's be clear. First of all, first of all, why is the party opposite so frightened of an election? What have they got to fear? And on the subject, on the subject, he called it the right honourable gentleman. The right hon gentleman called it bad policy. Let me tell him what his own shadow policing minister said. He said this, the honourable member for Gedling, only direct election based on geographic constituencies will deliver the strong connection to the public which is crucial. Why is he so frightened of having an election and proper police accountability? Speaker, we know what the public up and down this country know. This is the wrong priority for the country. What did we see during the riots? What did we see? We saw visible, effective policing. Now, the Prime Minister tells us the country cannot afford the current police budgets. We've got to cut the number of police officers by 16,000. But he tells the country it can afford £100 million and more as a result of his decision to waste money money on 42 elected politicians earning over £120,000 a year. Mr Speaker, that could pay for 2,000 extra police officers. Isn't isn't the truth this is the wrong priority at the wrong time for the country? As ever, the right hon. gentleman has got his figures completely wrong, because the police authorities that only 6% of the country have actually heard of are going to be abolished, and that will save money. But the other point I make, why, let me put it to him again, why is he frightened of direct elections so the police become accountable? He was responsible for the last Labour manifesto, and this is what the last Labour Prime Minister said. He said this. The Home Secretary will bring forward proposals for directly elected representatives to give local people more control over policing. Why the U-turn? 
Mr Speaker, we know he's got the wrong priorities on the police and he's refusing and he's refusing to back down. And he hasn't just got the wrong priorities on the police, but on the health service as well. Now, now, can the Prime Minister tell us, Mr Speaker, why the number of people who've had to wait more than six months for an operation has gone up by more than 60% since he came to office? I'm not surprised he wants to change subject, because on policing, on policing, he was having his collar felt because he's done a complete U-turn on the policy he used to be committed to. In our health service, as I said some moments ago, what we're seeing is more cancer patients get treatment, more doctors in our NHS, fewer bureaucrats, a reduction in mixed sex. I know they don't like hearing. There is far too much noise and what is beginning to sound like orchestrated heckling. It is order. It is profoundly discourteous and it should stop. The Prime Minister. The, the, the trouble is, Mr Speaker, they don't like hearing good news about what's happening in the National Health Service. And the fact is, if you look at waiting times for outpatients, they've actually fallen since the last election. Ed Miliband. The complete non-answer, Mr Speaker. He can't even answer the question. But, but, Mr Speaker, we are talking about people up and down this country who have been waiting longer for their operations. And the chief whip, the, the government chief whip, shouts from a sedentary position, he should care about these people who have been waiting longer for their, for their, for their operations. And let, me, and let me tell the government chief whip and the whole front bench, Mr Speaker, what we're talking about, the number of people, June 2011 to June 2010, the number of people waiting over six months for an operation, up by 42% those waiting for a heart operation, up by 62% those working, up by 62% those working, waiting for orthopaedic operations, up by 72% those waiting for eye surgery. Mr Speaker, the country and I are just asking for a simple explanation from the Prime Minister. Why has it happened? The explanation is that the amount of time people are waiting for an outpatient operation has actually gone down of people to get their treatment within 18 weeks, and those targets are being met. He may not like the truth, but that is the truth. And I have to say to him, that is why you now see the Royal College of GPs, the Royal College of Physicians, the Royal College of Nurses all supporting our health reforms. You even see Lord Darzai, the former health minister, supporting our health reforms. Labour have got themselves in a position of opposing all reform to the NHS and opposing the extra money into the NHS. That is their position. Ed Miliband. M Mr Speaker, I think he's convinced the country he's on another planet from there. He's on another planet. I mean, he, he actually took time off his holiday and he had his holidays interrupted. Fair play to him. But he took time off his holiday to tell the Western Morning News and he just repeated it. What, what did he say? The whole health profession is now on board for what is being done. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I have to ask, does he read the newspapers? Because only on Tuesday of this week, the BMA, the Royal College of GPs and the Royal College of Midwives all rejected his bill, and that was only this week. The truth is, Mr Speaker, under this government, we are seeing two reckless and needless reorganisations of our public services. Police numbers down and waiting lists up. And under Labour, we saw police officers up and waiting lists down. 
why doesn't he do the right thing for the future of our public services and scrap both of these disruptive and dangerous plans? Isn't, isn't it interesting that he doesn't dare, in six questions, mention the economy? to our health reforms, when it comes to our health reforms, let me quote him what the man he, his government plucked from the NHS to run the Department of Health, Lord Darcy, says about these reforms. The proposals from the NHS Future Forum, supported by the government, have recast these reforms in the right direction and are to be welcomed. So now you've got the Royal College of GPs, the physicians, the nurses, people working in the health service, supporting the changes we're making, and Labour wanting to cut the money and also cut the reform. Isn't it no surprise that the health minister, and it's traditional to quote the health minister on these occasions, said this, it is a tough fact of life that what Labour says matters less than what almost anyone else says. I couldn't have put it better myself. Helen Grant. Minister, agree with me. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that building stronger families and stronger communities is absolutely essential and key in dealing with antisocial and delinquent behaviour? The Honourable Lady is absolutely right, and I think this is important, and I'm sure there will be all-party agreement on this, that as well as a tough response from the criminal justice system to the riots, and we've seen that tough response, some exemplary sentences handed out very rapidly by the court system, and I praise all those who have been involved in speeding up the justice system. At the same time as that, we need to do more to strengthen communities, to strengthen families, to increase discipline in schools, to make sure our welfare system supports responsible behaviour rather than irresponsible behaviour. We'll be bringing forward proposals along those lines and I hope they'll have support from everyone in this House. Jonathan Ashworth. Thank you Mr Speaker. Before the summer the Prime Minister took part in a TV documentary which highlighted fears of crime and antisocial behaviour on the Saffron Lane estate in my constituency. In the Prime Minister's assessment, would he expect crime and antisocial behaviour on that estate and across Leicester to increase or decrease when he cuts 200 police officers from the Leicestershire Force? I want to see crime and antisocial behaviour go down. And the point, let me just, let me just remind the honourable gentleman, today only 12%, only one in ten of police officers are on the beat at any one time. There are 25,000 police officers in back office jobs, not on the front line. So look, we all have a responsibility to try and get our budget deficit under control. His party is committed to a billion pound cut in the police. What we have to do is recognise this is about getting officers onto the front line. That's the debate we should be engaged in. David Burrows. Uh, Mr Speaker, in the wake of the riots, can I commend uh, the Government and Mayor of London's support for high streets like those in Enfield, which were badly hit? Is this not uh, a good time to support <coughs> the forthcoming Global Day of Prayer, which in London is going to be taking place at Wembley? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly pay tribute to what the Mayor um, has done and also what the Department of Community and Local Government has done to make sure there is money available for rebuilding our communities. And the good thing about the High Street Support Scheme that he mentions of £20 million is that 29 local authorities have already registered for that scheme, and I hope we'll see the money being spent quickly to help rebuild our high streets. Laura De Piero. Does the Prime Minister support the closure of local police stations? 
It is up to chief constables to work out how best to police their areas. But what I'm finding from talking with police constables up and down the country is they want to put their resources into visible policing on the streets. And they've got the support of a government that is cutting the paperwork, reforming the pay, reforming the pensions, taking the difficult decisions that will make sure we have more police on our streets than we ever would under Labour. Mr John Barron. <laughs> Will the Prime Minister join me in sending a very clear message to the travellers at the illegal Dale Farm site? We all hope they move off peacefully in order to avoid a forced eviction. But if not, be in no doubt the Government fully supports Basel and Council and Essex Police in reclaiming this Greenbelt land on behalf of the law-abiding majority. I certainly give my support to the Essex Police and to all the county and district councils that have been involved, and I pay tribute to the Honourable Member for the very hard work he's put in on this issue. What I would say is it is a basic issue of fairness. Everyone in this country has to obey the law, including the law about planning permission and about building on Greenbelt land. And where this has been done without permission, it is an illegal development, and so those people should move away. And I completely agree with the way he put his question. Mr John Woodcock. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister opposed Labour's anti-gang laws, but then the rights occurred and he decided to strengthen them. Now he wants to weaken anti-terror laws by scrapping relocation powers. What will have to happen before he's prepared to admit that the mess he's replacing them with is putting national security at risk? I simply don't accept what the Honourable Gentleman says. When we looked at in our review of control orders, we listened extremely carefully to MI5, to the security services, uh, to the Metropolitan Police and all those involved. There was a full review process to make sure that we could have a system that was legal, that is vitally important, because the courts unpicked so many of the last government's changes, that the public can have confidence in and that will keep us safe. The Wheeler. Mr Speaker. Um, on the day when 200 people from Bombardier and Derby are here to hear whether we can change the arrangements for the Thameslink contract, can the Prime Minister give us some hope about future contracts and changing the tender arrangements? The mess that we were left in from the last government. I certainly want to do everything I can to help Bombardier, which is an excellent company that employs people in Derbyshire, that has done a brilliant job as an engineering business in this country for so many years. But before people shout from the party opposite, let me just remind them this procurement process was designed and initiated by the previous government. And it's no good them trying to shuffle off their responsibility. It is their responsibility. Thomas Doherty. The government, why does the government not agree with the police that children as young as seven should be banned from having shotgun licences? I think we should enforce proper rules on gun licences, including shotgun licences. We always keep these rules under review. If they need toughening, I'll happily look at that. Nadine Dorries. Mr Speaker, the Liberal Democrats make up 8-7% of this Parliament, and yet they seem to be influencing our free school policy, health, many issues, immigration and abortion. Does the Prime Minister... Order! Order! The order! The, the question from the Honourable Lady will be heard. Nadine Dorries. Does the Prime Minister think it's about time we told the Deputy Prime Minister who is the boss? <laughs> Yeah, um, look, 
question, but I want to hear the Prime Minister's answer. I know, I know the Honourable Lady is extremely frustrated um, uh, about... Uh, maybe I should start over again. on this one. <laughs> Nick Bacon! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, having, having scrapped the Future Jobs Fund and EMAs, young people not in education, employment and training is at a record high of 18.4% on the Prime Minister's watch. When, Mr. Speaker, when are things going to get better for our young people? No, look, clearly, we face a very difficult situation in terms of youth unemployment. I mean, let's be clear: this is a situation that was getting worse when, in, during the economic good times, and there was a 40% increase in youth unemployment over the time of the last government. What you're seeing today is, yes, a disturbing increase in those not in employment, education, and training over the age of 18. Under the age of 18, it's actually coming down. The steps that we're taking are obviously to improve schooling, to raise the participation age to 18, and massively to increase the level of apprenticeships to 360,000 starts this year. We're also introducing the Work Programme, which is the biggest back-to-work programme that has taken place in this country since the 1930s, and it will also be made available to, to, to young people who are in danger of being left out of employment, education and training as well. John Stevenson. Mr Speaker. Um, I've been working with with local businesses, my councils and other organisations to help promote, expand and grow the Carlisle economy. Clearly given the economic uh, background, it is imperative that we grow both the local and the national economy. Can the Prime Minister tell us what new measures the Government will introduce to help promote such growth? Well, I'm grateful to the Honourable Gentleman, and I enjoyed seeing at first hand what is happening in Cumbria in terms of trying to get the local economy moving. The action we're taking obviously includes the cuts in corporation tax, the regional growth fund, the enterprise zones, but specifically for Cumbria, I think the money that we're investing for superfast broadband will really help that county, particularly the most rural and far-flung parts, to make sure that small businesses can benefit throughout that county. Mark Tammy, CCTV played a vital role in the arrest of many of the Luton yeah, yeah, Why is yeah, he undermining yeah. this in the Protection of Freedoms Bill? Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Sir Alan Beef. When my, when my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, comes to consider next week's Vickers report on the banks, which have been rescued with fantastic amounts of taxpayers' money. Will he have no truck with the bank's argument that they can't be reformed to prevent another crisis because they're having such a struggle coping with the crisis they've already created? Surely never again should British taxpayers have to bail out banks which are too big to fail. My, my honourable friend is, is entirely right that this government must take action to reform the banks, and that is what we are doing. We've already set out how we're getting rid of the tripartite structure that failed so badly under the last government, how we're putting the Bank of England uh, back in charge, how we're making sure, as he put it, that we can't have these catastrophic bank failures that cost the taxpayer so dear in the future. We're looking forward to receiving uh, Professor Vickers's report. It seems to me there are two vital things we've got to secure, a safe and secure 
secure banking system for the future, but also proper bank lending, including to small businesses, right now in our economy. And that's what government policy will be aimed for. M.M. Morris. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Minister. The, uh, the Prime Minister will be aware that uh, his government are consulting on their changes to housing benefit claims uh, under the criteria of under-occupancy. This will adversely affect 450,000 disabled people, 33,000 in the North East alone, who stand to lose on average £676 per year, substantial number affected in my constituency. How does this policy meet his government's fairness test? We are making a specific exclusion to deal with people who have carers living in the home, but we do have to reform housing benefit. I think the whole House knows, frankly, that housing benefit was one of those budget items that was completely out of control. In some parts of London, we had families claiming 60, 70, 80 thousand pounds of housing benefit just for one family. So this does need to be reformed. It is, frankly, it is no good for the party opposite. He says how many? Frankly, too many. opposite to complain about every single reduction to public spending when they left us with the biggest budget deficit in Europe. Mark Reckless. The Prime Minister has listened to Liberal Democrat colleagues by delaying the police elections until November next year. Will he now listen to Conservative colleagues and take that opportunity to hold a referendum on Europe? That's an ingenious way of uh, putting the question. As I explained uh, yesterday, uh, I want us to be influential in Europe about the things that matter to our national interest. Promoting the single market, pushing forward for growth, making sure we get lower energy prices. Those are the things that we'll be fighting for. But I don't see the case for an in-out referendum on Europe. We're in Europe. We've got to make it work for us. Mr Dave Watts. Does the Prime Minister agree with his Housing Minister that due to the economic policies of the Government that we now have a growth crisis? And when he does a U-turn, will he choose to actually cut VAT, which is Labour's policy, or will he choose to give tax cuts to the rich? Well, uh, the Honourable General obviously had time to read this great uh, tome, which points out that increasing VAT was Labour's policy. Uh, the last election. And what he should focus on is the fact that the person responsible for Labour's economic policy at the last election said they had no credible policy whatsoever. The problem for Labour is absolutely nothing has changed. Michael Ellis. Minister, join me in congratulating members from both sides of this House and in both houses of this Parliament for their generosity in responding to the letter from Mr Speaker and the Lord Speaker in supporting a gift for Her Majesty the Queen for her forthcoming Diamond Jubilee from this Parliament. Delighted to join the honourable gentleman and praising everyone who contributed to this very imaginative and I think sensible gift for Her Majesty's Diamond Jubilee. But perhaps I could pay a particular tribute to him because he has worked so hard to make this work. And I think it'll be a fitting tribute and something actually the country should focus on to have a Diamond Jubilee is an extraordinary thing that we're going to be able to celebrate in our lifetimes. Barry Gardner. With electricity and gas bills going up by 20% and 6 million families in this country now facing fuel poverty, does the Prime Minister still think it was right 
to cut the winter fuel payment to pensioners by £100. Let us be clear, we are going ahead with the winter fuel payments set out by the last Labour government in their budget. At the same time, we are actually increasing the cold weather payments on a permanent basis. So this government is being more generous than the last government. Simon Wright. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, in seeking to address the economic recovery, uh, is it better to help those who are taxed on incomes as little as £150 a week or those who, after tax, take home around ten times that amount? I think the Honourable Gentleman makes a good point, and let me just point out two things that we've done totally in line with that. One is to lift a million people out of income tax altogether, something that is a coalition commitment that we've been delivering on. The second thing, when it comes to tax credits, we've actually increased in over two years by by £290 the tax credits that go to the poorest families in our country. And that is why we've managed to take difficult decisions, and everyone knows we've had to take difficult decisions, but without an increase in child poverty. Now, in better economic times, under the last government, actually child poverty went up. Johnson. Bringing Siemens manufacturing wind turbines to the Humber is vital for jobs and also for a breakthrough on renewables and hopefully increasing uh, the UK industry in this area. Local councils and businesses are doing everything they can to attract Siemens to the area, but we face very strong foreign competition. Will this government do what the last government did and back this bill, uh, this bid? Will the, will the Prime Minister do everything he can to secure Siemens coming to Hull? Yeah. I absolutely agree with the Honourable Lady for raising this issue. I think it's vital for the future of our, our, our economy, vital for the future of the area she represents. I met with uh, members of Parliament from, from Humberside to discuss this issue. I've myself spoken to the head of Siemens about the importance of this investment going ahead. We're carrying on with the extra money going into ports to help the development uh, of this industry, and we back it all the way. Speaker, at a meeting this morning with organisations working in the Horn of Africa, representatives expressed their gratitude for the fact that the British public have been so generous and DFID has provided such leadership. That famine is continuing to uh, deteriorate, exacerbate. Could I ask the Prime Minister whether he's going to make sure that this government continues to provide international leadership to help the people in East Africa? I can certainly give the Honourable Lady that assurance. I think it has been remarkable, the response of the British public. These are difficult economic times, but they have shown an incredible generosity and led the world in the contributions that they've made. And because this government, again, in difficult economic times, has made the decision to fulfil our pledge of reaching 0.7% of national income going into aid, we are also leading the world in the amount of money that we are putting into the Horn of Africa to vaccinate children, to save lives, and to recognise this is an ongoing humanitarian crisis. You are Anka Davis. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that his housing minister is an absolute star? In the face of declining planning permissions for new build homes, in the face of the lowest number of new homes being built this year in 12 months, across any year of Labour, lower than any year of Labour's uh, programme of administration for house building, his minister's great idea is to urge councils to build more moorings for houseboats. Fantastic. (laughs) I I thought he was doing so well till he got all political. I think there should be agreement. 
across the House. That House building is too low in this country, and it is a shocking statistic that the average, the typical first-time buyer, is now in their mid-30s. So we do need change. We do need more houses to be built, and I think my housing minister is doing a first-class job. Mr Matthew Offord. Thank you, Mr Speaker. While much attention has been paid to the military activities occurring in Libya over the summer, will the PM join with me in congratulating Captain Steve Norris and the crew of the Royal Fleet Auxiliary's Wave Ruler and the work they are doing in combating drugs in the Caribbean? Not only did they intercept £50 million of cocaine over the summer, but they've also been helping uh, humanitarian efforts in the overseas territories following Hurricane Irene. I think my honourable friend makes an important point. While we obviously should focus on and praise the incredible work our services have done in Libya and in Afghanistan, there are the ongoing tasks. He talks about drug interdiction in the West Indies. There's also the task of protecting the Falkland Islands. There's the work we're doing to prevent piracy uh, off the Horn of Africa. All of these tasks, people are giving a huge amount of time and effort, and we should praise and thank them for what they do. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.